get this over to here. I'm trying to quit anything that uses internet yeah, data. Yeah, um, Yeah, I mean, so that's the thing. That's Zoom well, has been a bit flake, isn't it? So, <laughs> I don't know if it's Zoom or... It, uh, have you just quit, like, Zoom? <laughs> no. Oh, my days. No, I'm still on Zoom. I'm still here. Okay, you're back. You're yeah, back. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, my word. I'm not... It's not... Um, it says me. It says your internet connection is unstable, so it's definitely on my end. Um, to the extent that I'm almost thinking of moving to Donegal on Wednesday, because uh, I was actually going to stay here because I'm really? doing a design... Yeah, I'm doing a design sprint workshop on Thursday. Um, and I actually think my internet will be better in Donegal. Um, so I might just drive up on Wednesday, but I just got a couple of meetings on Wednesday. Anyhow, I've got something exciting to share with you. Yeah, go on. It is this, okay? It's, uh, can you hear it? Yeah. Is it timer? timer. Yeah. How long does it last? It lasts for one hour. No way. So it'll go off after one hour. So we don't even need to worry about it. Um, so Nick and I used to use it for our um, presentations at the art college. So whenever students were doing a presentation, we'd set it to roughly five minutes. Although, yep. to be honest with you, Adam, look at it. I mean, it's like the chance of getting five minutes on that is kind of zero, right? It's um, an old school piece of technology. Yeah, yeah it's kind of, it's been in a house with somebody who smokes because it was white and it's all yellow now. Um, but anyway, Nick left it behind and I've just kind of claimed it as my, um, what, I, what I thought it would be good for would be like if I'm doing a, an office house on Design Trek. Oh no, it's not called Design Trek, it's called the School of Design. Um, I could use it and it would be like, once that bell rings, dang a ling a ling it's like we are done. Yeah. Because I can't spend more than one hour on a on a tutorial stream. Yeah, I use, what do I, I use, um, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, I mean, if you Google search iPad large timer or something like that, you basically right. get a, a, a massive timer that you can put on your iPad. So whenever students right. are doing presentations, I have the massive iPad with it counting down right in front of them. So they can't yeah. go over the 20 minutes or whatever it is. Cause that's like, well, when you've got a day of presentations, everyone goes over by two minutes. You're, you're, you're going home at midnight. So, well, exactly. Um, and that's why we used to use this. Um, hang on. I'm just doing one other change. I'm going change here. Now I can open up a screenshot, which, uh, I will not share my screen, but I've now got the questions really big. Um, the good news is that, um, yeah, two minutes times a million is like tons of minutes. Exactly. Yeah, it's two million minutes times a million is a fuck of a lot of minutes, actually. Anyhow, um, one thing I felt um, before we get stuck into the proper um, start of the thing, sure. listening to the episode in the supermarket queue was that because of the pandemic and the internet and all that kind of stuff, there are times where it just goes and then nothing. You have like nothing for about like 10 seconds or, you know. So, the raw, so I think what we need. The raw recording is fine, obviously. Yeah, it's just doing it there. That's the thing. So <laughs> you, although you've frozen you now, it doesn't yeah, matter because you, the raw recording is perfect. Yeah, you, you like so, to think that, but it kind of isn't because you just kind of you just kind of went. You, 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 no, no. You, 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 uh, 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 uh. Oh, no, are you saying I'm that? Saying, Chris, is, yes, you listen to the mix down of the Zoom recording, which will obviously include oh. all of the breaks, but the locally okay. recorded files, which we both have. Ah, are always going to be perfect. But I didn't. I obviously didn't do anything with those to begin with because you just. Want, yeah. I just wanted to send it to you quick. So okay. Well, can you so mix that one, one up? Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you make mix that one up? Because just, um, yeah. Ross, you need to Ross send me the like, garage band file. I think on drop. It's in the it's in the folder. Oh, so Wav, right? So I uh, sent you a message yesterday. Um, if you could get that up, and then we'll we'll I'll write the show notes, and we'll get that one up, and then we'll get this one up a few days later. For context, yeah. we had to record this episode <laughs> episode one twice. Yeah. Um, because of some problems with the internet and also some kind of latent racism because um, I was speaking in a Scottish accent and we weren't sure if that was racism. But, you know, we included that anyway in the second take of the thing anyway, so it doesn't matter. It's too late. Um, Blown yeah. it. Okay. Um, so this is technically so, episode two and if it all goes pear-shaped with the internet, I won't hear any of your questions and you won't hear any of my answers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we should probably just do the introduction um, from the point of view of, uh, we're going to get somebody to write this. Uh, actually, one thing I would say is that um, 
yesterday I went to is somebody okay there there was a scream in the background yeah. you know I did warn you um, that it might not be quiet yeah it's all right um, imagine if you went out and you like all your family had been murdered <laughs> you were podcasting the whole time um, well, it was a good go. episode it'd be fine what a, what a story um so I looked at um voice talent the other day yeah. I literally googled voice talent once I mean, I literally didn't even have any more time to Google it because I've been so busy with Propel and stuff. And I went to YouTube yesterday or the day before. And you know the adverts that come on before you start watching the YouTube thing? It was like, voice talent. Do you need voice talent? And I was like, what the hell? Because I was like, what the hell? I literally looked at voice talent once. Once. Um, Yeah, I'm not. It's like insane. So it's like the world of tracking. It's bonkers. Anyway, we're going to get a voice sound person to to do this. We're going to have a professional actor. Uh, and I think it will be a man um, because, you know, it's like old-fashioned academia type thing. And, and sadly, old-fashioned academia wasn't really populated by women. Um, so nope. Uneducators is a podcast about the intersection of design, technology, and business. And right in the middle in the sweet spot, education. Together, Messrs. Murphy and Proctor explore the world of teaching past and present public and private, profitable and profitable. Uneducators is hosted by Mr. Murphy. Feel free to call him Chris. He is the founder of the School of Design, a community for entrepreneurs building the design times business startups of the future. He teaches design, business and everything in between, both offline and increasingly in these pandemically challenged times online. Mr. Proctor, feel free to call him. Have you got a seat? Take a seat now, because this takes some time. Lord Proctor of Nodnog, Captain Corona, or, if you are lacking in imagination, plain old Adam. He teaches design tinkering in the cutting edge field of games design at Winchester School of Art. He is also working on a PhD, a never ending story that sees him exploring virtual learning environments. So, without further ado, let's hear these highly educated fellows ramble for an hour or so about the education, technology, design, and business space. Cool. I think we need to edit the intro, it's fucking massive. <laughs> It is quite long, I suppose. And if, yeah. you, if you hear it every week, you it's, might be like, "Oh my word, skip this!" It's like it's like ten minutes long. Well, maybe we'll yeah. we'll get it we'll get it done, then we can chop it up, can't we? What if we had an episode called the introduction, and we just did the whole episode on that, and then we got a, that the voice talent person to make a short version, and then we set we got him at the end to say, "If you'd like to hear the long version of the introduction, we recommend episode three, the introduction." <laughs> Yeah, I think that would be really funny, oh, right? Because the whole thing would be so ridiculous. ridiculous. Right, let's get started. So last week we um, looked at the School of Design, and this week we're going to be looking at the other half of the equation and talk about node noggin. So Adam, what is node noggin? Well, yeah, okay, before I answer your question, I was going to say, we've only really sc- we scratched the surface, haven't we, on the School of Design? So and we're going to yeah, scratch the surface really, on this. So, yeah. you know, I think we're going to come back to these topics as 100%. in terms of like what we're doing on them but i guess it's more of an overview isn't it as to what the thing is and why they've been set up yeah so 100 yeah what was the question again <laughs> <laughs> well i suppose you can answer two questions one why are you captain um not captain corona of lord <laughs> nog why are you lord of node nog because that's the and that's the you, company you, i created yeah and why didn't you just call the company node noggin because node noggin is a product uh, and yeah. does specific things, whereas Node Nog would be the a ser- uh, like could be other products, or it might be just me going and talking about the things I'm interested in that aren't specific around Node Noggin. Okay, so Node Nog is the equivalent of Mr. Murphy Limited, and Node Noggin is the School of Design, yes. which is essentially a sub kind of uh, a product yeah. that I sell. Because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to be limited in the sense that I like the name, but I, I wanted to have a different domain. And I wanted to think, okay, what are this? What other ser- what other services might I bring around the education space in this area? And so that. But there, there, there's a term, right? Node, which yeah. is a node, obviously, mm-hmm. and the, the term node is in there for a reason. And then there's a term noggin. Yeah. Yeah. But is there a term nog? Don't think so. Oh, okay. So I still don't quite understand why you suddenly shortened it to node nog, and you didn't just call the company. I just, node I just wanted noggin. it to be different. And then that was all. Yeah, well, you succeeded in that. Um, so we have answered question one for me, uh, which was why are they different? Um, when did you start? That's a okay. question. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. 
So when did I start? The, um, tech, like 2013, 14? Whoa. So this has been going for like six years plus. Yeah. Holy moly. Um, okay, my next question is going to be quite brutal. Like, how come we haven't, how come we don't have access to this? You do. Uh, it's been it's... online for years, but it's just oh, no, okay. one, no one goes okay. there. <laughs> <laughs> All of the material okay. I've been working on has been openly available since day one. Uh, videos, uh, talks, all that kind of stuff. I mean, everything I've created has always been so, openly online somewhere. So you say day one, what year would that be? 2014 or something? Yeah, roughly. Okay, and where would I go? Like, what would the URL for this be? Well, I bunged some links on uh, Twitter because you told mm -hmm. me to. But um, Yeah, no, I did, yeah. You need to get more onto Twitter. Um, <laughs> so that's with, that the node, that's with the Node Noggin account. But no, the best place to go is... Um, research notes which is a dot es okay so it's r-e-s-e-a-r-c-h-n-o-t dot es yeah so it's a an espana domain yes um so that's where where you are so is research notes itself a node noggin instance or it's just a blog it's just a blog and that's where you're talking about all the work that you're doing and yeah and if you go back to some of the earlier blogs it has links to some of the earlier videos um okay and in fact i um, mean it, yeah it, it doesn't go back to the very earliest one because some of them are sort of irrelevant but it goes back to okay. the second staff seminar i did okay and so where where is the actual product itself so that's a node noggin which is dot okay. in okay so it's n-o-d-e-n-o-g-g dot i n yeah and what's uh dot i n where's that no idea i'm guessing wow. indonesia or something i would say it's probably indonesia because i don't think it's india but i mean i don't know it could be no i don't know um, and then node nog is node no dot gg it's like so, i don't know where that is <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you like on drugs when you came up with these url patterns i love insane. i love urls where it's like ends the word yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did that for slightly differently, but when we did get invited, we got get invited dot two so that we could make a URL sentence. So it would say get invited to node noggin oh, sure, yeah, cool. uh, opening, yeah, and that is uh, Tonga for anyone who's interested dot to. But what one thing it does mean is it's a little bit more expensive than say a dot com or a dot org or something. Yeah, for us, a, a dot two is more expensive. Yeah, I think some of them were a little bit more expensive, but not lots. You know what I mean? Nothing over like $30, $40. But you've been paying this for five or six or seven years now. Yeah, uh, yeah some of them. Some of them are relatively new. So Okay. And so returning to the Node Noggin thing, like how many how many active users would you say that you have? I have no idea. What? <laughs> oh, of course, you, would know, you wouldn't know because it's open source, so people could have forked it and made their own builds or something or yeah yeah. or are you saying you don't know because you did the software is built in such a way that you would never know it's yeah both okay okay um so rewinding just a bit for people who are listening um you know i said like somebody's forked it or something it's open source it's free and open source software okay so can you explain what the difference is well, well what does free and open source mean because like for example i've run into some issues with the school of design library where i'm saying it's free but that doesn't mean it's free uh you know <laughs> and that that's a complicated um thing that you need to unpack i think yes yeah, so basically lots of software can be open source mm -hmm. but it isn't necessarily uh free in terms of like for purchase um, but also in terms of like, if you look at the actual definition of free and open source software, it isn't about necessarily the uh, the product being free. It's that it's freely it can be freely uh, used by others um, and transformed and edited in in ways that they see fit. Whereas a lot of open source software, you you're not allowed to do that. You can't just you can't change it to, in that sense. You can see the source. But you mm. can't always necessarily you are, wouldn't be allowed necessarily to change and distribute a version of it. Okay, so it's a little bit like um, Creative Commons and copyright, and you know, in Creative Commons, uh, there's obviously multiple licenses. Yeah. You know, so you could, for example, copy this thing and you could reuse it, and you could make your own versions of it, and then you could sell those, 
or for another example would be you can copy this thing, you can edit it, you can make your own versions, you can even sell it, but you have to uh, give me credit uh, back at the original thing. Or you know, there's a variety of different reasons. Yeah, um, credit is uh, still licenses. In, credit is still embedded in it, but it's just the fact that it can be freely transformed into other ways. Where some open source software's license has different licensing that doesn't mm. allow for that transformation necessarily. And is that something you teach your students in in that in that regard? Because I mean. You know, open source versus proprietary versus all of this different stuff. It's right. It's quite complicated, as we've just discussed, right? I mean, if you go to Creative Commons and you look at the alternatives to copyright, there are actually quite a lot of different uh, variables in play. Like, uh, you know, how much how much can somebody else edit or amend the thing? Can they sell it? Do you do they have to give you credit? All of these things, when you start to build them out start to lead you towards a multitude of licenses yeah and so do you do you teach this to the students when they're building games and things like that yeah we do we discuss it we talk about it to some degree as to how you would use the uh openness of your code to show your skill set you know and that and that sort of is born out of originally sort of building on talking about creative commons at the beginning mm. of the course and then sort of slowly talking through the idea of ownership and what is mm. you know, and getting stuff out there is more valuable than having the ownership at this point, uh, and trying to sort of embed that thinking in the process, and so that then the games they produce in the final year they will put online, um, and I will encourage them to look at licenses that they think they would like to use. But okay, you know, that's cool. I think it's great that you're teaching that because not everybody would teach that kind of stuff, and we certainly have an intellectual property um, series of lectures that we do. Um, which I do in the creative entrepreneurship module where we're talking about who owns what. Um, and one of the exercises I do is I get a contract, which is a non-disclosure agreement, or it's not a contract so much as it's a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. And then I modify the um, one of the clauses uh, in, on page two. Um, and I've purposely chosen a contract that's a little bit more complicated than a single page contract. Um, and then I mod modify one of the clauses saying, you know, if you sign this, Everything you produce from here on in at the Belfast School of Art belongs to Mr. Murphy Limited. Mm -hmm. um, and I give it out at the beginning and say, we're going to cover non-disclosure agreements, paperwork, IP, all of this kind of stuff. It's very, very complicated. And I say, you, but you need to sign this first because you know I'm going to share some stuff with you that's private and you cannot share it with other people, which I actually do go on and do anyway. Um, and so I say, but you need to sign this. And then I run around a room like going, guys, you need to hurry up because otherwise you're never going to get started and to invariably they just sign it and they don't even read it and then i read out clause six subsection two or something and say you know read this and they all go what and i'm like well you know there's lesson one right you just don't sign anything that someone sticks in front of you um but the flip side of that is that oftentimes a lot of students will say to you oh, i'm not putting that on the web because like it's really valuable and somebody could steal it and you know they're going to make a fortune because my ideas are worth millions and i'm kind of like look they're not really <laughs> you know um you know no, even exactly. even you know even with some of the companies that i've spun out and own a percentage of that percentage might be say 25 percent, but it's 25 percent of nothing um, and I've done that more for reputational reasons to build these startups. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I have a whole thing. I mean, Corey Doctorow's got some good stuff on that about privacy, um, piracy versus obscurity, you know, and so there's lots of stuff where I kind of talk to the students about the fact that being, you know, being ripped off is um, not your biggest worry. Never being found yeah. is your biggest worry. Never being, you know, you know, never being shown for what you do, so you're better off sharing it because, and again, at the end of the day, I show them lots of examples where uh, culture builds on itself. So Lawrence Lessig obviously talks a lot about that stuff with free culture, and mm. um, so it kind of it's, in, it's it's peppered throughout the program to get them to think seriously about what what the ownership is. And again, I just don't think ownership of content is the big thing. So that you know, so I try and encourage them to think about it's not about what you it's not about the things you produce. It's about what you keep what you do. And what yeah. you keep doing, you know, not the not the one-off instance. So that's really that's really interesting. So you said you don't just think of it as ownership of content; you also think of it as ideas and uh, possibly companies and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I mean, you're you're more than just the sum of that one piece, aren't you? So I think if you're if you're worried that your all your riches are embedded in the one thing you produced, it's kind of an outdated business model anyway. I mean, obviously the record labels have been trying to hang on to it for years and years but it's just 
They they do it because it, it props up companies, you know, and props up uh, shareholders, not because yeah. it props up artists or creators. So that's why I think it's important to explain these things and say, if you, want yeah, to be cre- if you want to be a creator, don't buy into a system that's designed to prop up corporate structures because that's not yeah. what it is to be truly creative. You know, I mean, we talked about this yeah. in some of the minus episodes about you know doing things you love and value will come from that and all that kind of stuff so yeah one one of the reasons that when i ran my record label we didn't have any royalties we didn't have any of that um was because i just it it complicates things and it gets things become very tricky um and uh, the music industry is fraught with complexity and i would just say to everybody look here's how it works we publish 500 cds i will send you 100 you sell them at gigs uh, we all sell the other 400. We'll also give a lot away for free as promotion. Um, we also get a lot of uh, uh, press coverage. And that's what we're giving you. Um, and you're giving us music. And we tried as much as possible not to lose ourselves in that because um, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And we had one artist in particular who many years later became quite famous. But when we released his his um, compact disc, um, he was pretty unknown he'd only released one other um cd um and suddenly many years later he was famous and suddenly i got a, a message from his bank manager saying hey we need these back royalties and and i was like what um and i contacted the person in question who i'm very professionally not mentioning um and said hey your manager's been in touch and you need to just drop him a line and he said well it's not really my problem actually it's my manager who wants to deal with this and i was like dude you know what's the deal like we have we have an agreement and he said well where's it written down and i was like what um yeah it was horrendous i mean so something that started out as a a labor of love and a thing of joy became a bit of a nightmare and that was one of the many reasons i closed down the record label the other being that the move towards streaming and itunes and digital distribution was just horrendous and yes changed the market didn't it the funny thing is you know what i've noticed you know when zoom when zoom does go wrong it doesn't you don't lose what you said. It ca- it ca- you just get it later. Maybe? Yeah, it's really weird. It does like a and then I still hear the rest of the sentence. So wow, weird. But it's just weird. distracting. Yeah. So so you talked about like the creators uh, of other things, and I think that that's a really important principle. You know, that your students and yourself, you're creating stuff, and you're by sharing it, you are establishing a reputation. Yeah, and also that we're building on stuff that's already been and gone. So to be, you know, you've got to think about that. So, I mean, my, obviously I have a big example where I kind of go through. And mainly is music easy to, they're easy examples, but I've got some art yeah. examples. But I talk about the, you know, the Verve getting, you know, their tune uh, on, what's it called? The Symphony one, which used a bit of music, used some of the orchestra from a Rolling Stones track. But that was actually oh, yeah. an Andrew Oldman track. Anyway, basically in the end, they... Um, the credits went to you know went to Mick Jagger in some capacity, but it didn't really go to them. And it went and Nike used it on a advert. And basically, they got, like they didn't make any money from this record. So I often end with this saying, "Look, if you were a musician and this happened to you, would you go, would you go back into the studio and record another record?" Probably. And what did they say? And they sort of I think the students sort of realised and go, oh, "Actually, it would be really creatively damaging and limiting to how you think about doing things." Yeah. So that so they're not so I'm really spinning it that the 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 where copyright has gone is a place that it shouldn't have gone, you know, and that it's oh, yeah. that it's 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 a model that's just designed to prop up businesses and not designed to support creators. And so then I introduce Creative Commons and say, look, there's another model, and if you use this model, you don't lose any copyright. You can still do what you want with it, but you're adding this ability for other people to find your work, to remix your work to look at your work, to share your work without worrying about permissions, you know, so that if they want to embed your blog on, you know, if they want to embed your work on a blog, I mean, it's got simpler things have changed, but, you know, for example, last year, some students made a game, obviously made a game, put it on itch, and um, during one of the... Um, sh- they put it onto what? Uh, itch.io, so that's where we put all most of our games. It's like an okay. open distribution platform for games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to find stuff on there actually if you, if you see stuff on itch it means that lots of people are playing it because they're really excited about it but um, okay. one last year and is, 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 is it a, distrib- the, is it a distribution the, platform oh that's soon getting the better of us I, I was asking is it a distribution platform itch yes basically 
Okay. You can so put it's your, kind of like the app store, but for games. Yeah, yeah, but it's off on the web, so okay. there's no okay. gatekeepers. You know, so it's a it's a it's a store effectively. You should move your router nearer to your computer again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's happening there. The problem is it's a bit sort of jammed into under a light and stuff. Um, I really, the more we do this, the more I'm thinking I should just go to Donegal on, on Wednesday evening because it's not going to work either. Actually, that's tomorrow. Um, so let's keep going and see how it goes. And yeah, we'll so basically, anyway, they um, put, the students put the thing on itch and yeah. someone could download it. And I'd encourage them to, you know, have the code and whatever. And then obviously someone, you know, they'd use those kind of licenses. And of course, someone downloads it, plays the game and does a YouTube stream of it. Now, I'm not saying they couldn't have done that with a commercial game, but there are there are issues if you stream a commercial game and stuff like that that could could appear because, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, if you did things that. Um... So let's say let's say you were on Twitch which I do now know what that is because um, they used Twitch for the showcase for Propel last week. Um, if you're on Twitch and you're streaming yourself playing, let's say, um, Animal Crossing, are there issues with that in terms of you're using someone else's intellectual property, i.e. Animal Crossing, and you are sharing that with the world, i.e. broadcasting, and you're essentially broadcasting someone else's intellectual property. Is that an issue? Or do games companies just decide, we'll just not look at that because otherwise we'll never get any promotion? Yeah, I think it's basically the second piece is that games companies are letting it slide at this point in time because they're making so much revenue through that, that, through that advertising. But okay. if you say if you're playing something and you did something that the company felt was, you know, not in line with their, you know, mode of operating, I'm sure they'd come down pretty hard on some streamers if they wanted to. So it's, you know, I'm not, it's, I mean, it's slightly different in that sense, but, you know, the fact that... So, a, a little bit like when we had the minus episodes where I Googled um, Animal Crossing porn and, you yeah. know, we got some Something dodgy dodge. looking stuff, exactly. you know, they might be, they might come down on you for that because um, it's ruining their brand image. Yeah. Anyhow, let's talk a little bit more about Node Noggin because we've got a little bit lost here. Um... What what what, yes. what prompted you to make it? I mean, what was the what was the spark? So yeah, okay. So this is a it's a bit of a longer story, and that's why when I saw your questions, I'm like, depends where we want to go with this. But basically, uh, yeah, a long time ago, seven eight years ago, maybe further, I'd uh, always been interested in the fact that systems that staff use within universities, like these virtual learning environments, Blackboard and other systems were really clunky to use and often staff didn't like using them or they wouldn't put stuff in there and there was more and more push to make sure everything was obviously available for students uh, which it should be um, but they were so you know clunky to use and of course I come out of the sort of the web 2 era seeing all these cool apps doing things like Flickr or whatever and there's lots of interfaces that are working really well and none of the virtual learning environments were moving in that direction so mm -hmm. I spent one, um, it was a little small research project just prior to this, where I was looking at open education resources and what they were what they were doing and how they were set up. So there's a bunch of different ones at the time. Uh, some still exist, some don't. And basically, they all had really great open education resources in them, but the interfaces were very similar in terms of like very basic files and folder sort of structure, much like something like Blackboard or Moodle. And so access was. The issue to access, I don't think anyone had addressed, was the user experience. Um, okay. So I, so I basically proposed off the back of this research that one of the hidden barriers to open education resources was user experience, and that that needed mm -hmm. to be looked into. And so I did a couple of conference presentations on the need for, uh, under the title of the need for delight in open education resources, and it was this idea that those if we've got these amazing things out there and this obviously was before um the khan academy all those kind of things and you know so before any of those ones where they have limited open access stuff you know and and they're a bit better actually although they're still not that great to navigate um so i just in my infinite wisdom was like well i think i can come up with a better way that, mm. that staff and students can interact with the materials that we produce in the school of art so that they get more out of those materials and okay. firstly the students get more out of it because they're more likely to go and get those look at those things in the space if it works for them uh, you know so it works on a mobile phone and whatever 
which again, you know, things like Blackpool didn't. It still, you know, it still has problems. Mm, uh, and there's, yeah. you know, and the start. If you're trying to use the the non app version of Blackboard, it's a disaster. It's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they've yeah. got these new. Uh, I mean, they've got some other fangled versions, but um, that do other things. But universities aren't on the latest ones for various reasons and whatever. And the the other thing that I wanted to capture is the the staff time that was destroyed, like staff time that was being sucked into by having to produce materials to go into the the, the blackboard, the virtual learning environment system. Yeah. So staff would often be spending a lot of time, you know, creating wonderful looking documents. Maybe that's in you know Keynote and InDesign or whatever, uh, and then. If they if they had been listening, they were making them into PDFs and, and then uploading them to Blackboard. But often they weren't, so they were uploading raw, you know, uh, keynote files or InDesign files and stuff. Where you're like, well, what? This isn't accessible, you know. What did so, you mean by if they had been listening? It, well, there's lots of people telling them that a good practice would be convert your file to a PDF and okay, do these okay. accessibility checks and then upload the file, you know. So they were. It was just too many steps. Basically, when I sat yeah. down and I sort of did an audit of the number of steps, it was just horrendous. So I was like, okay, this is like really taking a lot of time for people. And what is important is the stuff, is the materials, and then getting in front of the students, not sitting here making the thing, you yeah. know. Um, so that's what I started investigating. And running alongside that, I had... Um, my cons- I had concerns over venture capitalism coming predominantly out of Silicon Valley and various startups looking to disrupt education space on the business model that is that uses uh, data mining to uh, provide the, the you know the service for free or to you know for other means or whatever. So that was that yeah. had been niggling away as a, as a concern. I was like, what you know. The web had sort of become, was this utopian place. Suddenly, it's become this horrendous neoliberal data mining, privacy invading beast, you know. And of course, Edward Snowden's revelations compounded. There was other people using that, you know, using the same techniques effectively, you know. Mm-hmm. After nine eleven, you know, they were going to Google. The governments were going to Google and saying, "Tell me how to how to how to spy on people like you've been doing." Um, and so that. That was a concern Hang on. because you I said how yeah. to spy on people like you've been doing. Who who's the you in Google? This? Like Google. Oh, Google. Google had developed Jeez. a bunch of technology, and so the, yeah. Sorry, for a second, I thought you meant like I was no, spying no, no. on some people. Oh. Like what the hell? No, no. The, I'm saying the American government went to Google yeah, yeah, and said, yeah. "Help us to do the kind of stuff that you to surveil in the way you're surveilling." Yeah. Um, and so that bothered me because, and one of the reasons that really bothered me, and just I mean, these all things are interconnected, was that the fact that. Um, since the iPhone came out, we've been extending ourselves into our digital devices. And mm-hmm. Aral Balkin talks a lot about this in di- in, and has been much more sort of passionate about it than I have in various ways. But, um, you know, he talks about the idea that, you know, this is this invasion becomes an invasion of our human rights because we are effectively extending ourselves into the digital space. Mm-hmm. So there was, that's the kind of things that are rumbling along. I'm like, okay, the business model of most big technology is this idea of data surveillance i don't think that's a good thing there's loads of companies starting up in education in edutech and and mm-hmm. again a person called audrey waters attracts sort of the amount of vc money going into education technology it was huge it's huge it's been going up and up and up it's just a climbing spiral and so i saw this convergence of these two concerns which was uh, we've got people who are just making technology, you know, and they're trying to figure out how to make some money. And they might, in the way they probably figure out doing that is by spying on the data within the student yeah. body. And then we were, then there was, I mean, again, some of these things aren't necessarily in sequence, but then there's Guardian articles that sort of express the fact that they'd be able to work out what the grade a student would get the day they walked in the door before that, you know, for the day they would leave in three years' time. And I felt this was really. Uh, well, I think it's really bad because you do know, you do you? Um, this is why we're going to need to spend more than one one episode yeah. each on the things that we're working on because they they encompass massive massive amounts of uh, of thinking. Um, you know, I'm not just setting up a design school. Um, you know, there's a lot more to it than that, yes. and you're not just building a tool uh, that allows you to gather and and share things and um, 
I don't know, spatially work across space and time and distance. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in the, um, the EdTech VC angle because, you know, one of the reasons I got onto the Propel program, which we talked about last week, was EdTech is, is essentially what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and so they had a number of companies that they labeled as EdTech. Um, and yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, those three or four companies are still in that space. The problem you see is that if someone says, oh, the School of Design, it's a new EdTech startup, is it makes it sound like it's a VC type thing. Uh, when probably it's not, um, you know, I'm still working on that. And um, don't get me wrong, I haven't got as much of an issue with VC as you, uh, VC backing and VC funding as you do. I do have an issue with data and who owns it and what's being shared and what's not being shared and how it's being leveraged to make money. For sure, I have an issue with that, um, and that's one yeah. reason why in the newsletter on Sunday we talked about Fathom for our analytics. Um, instead of using Google Analytics, because I, I think that we can make tiny changes like that yes. um, to to step away from yeah, the exactly. Google harvesting absolutely everything. Um, yeah, and I think I've I sent you that link, which is that software dot switching, which does sim helps you to find those services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did, um, and I thought I that was that. interesting. Um, I, it's okay. We can still hear you. Um, so as you Good. pointed out to me, even though you're still talking, it'll all be fine on the, 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 the Google thing. Or when we talk about the Google thing, it'll be fine on the uh, mixed down version. The, the, the thing is, we just need to try and concentrate ourselves on what the other person's talking about and sort of transcend that um, interruption. But you see, what's yeah. interesting to me about the interruption, if we spin off for a millisecond or two, um, hashtag ramble, that's the bell, um, is that you know, at once these tools like Zoom are incredibly empowering, as in we can have this conversation, we can see each other, we can talk, we can explore. Yeah. But at the other end of the spectrum, they are also incredibly limiting. If we were sitting down in a, in a studio and talking about this, um, it would be great, right? We could see nuance, we could see, you know, last week one of the things we did was we turned off the video because we couldn't, we thought if we turn off the video then we'll get a better, um, you know, a better experience. We didn't really, even though when I was listening to the podcast back again in the car earlier, um, you know, it, radio had to do that for years. Um, so, you know, you never were able to see somebody else if you're on a radio program. But simultaneously, the things that are our biggest strengths with digital tools like Zoom and Notion and all of these things and Node Noggin are also our biggest weaknesses because they are inherently fragile. Um, so, yeah, and that's a nice place to bridge into, you know, in the minus episodes, we talked about TOT, a piece of software that advertised itself as syncing. Um, and you paid essentially for the sync. So it was free on the Macintosh. So on the Mac OS version was nothing. But if you wanted to be able to also write on your phone or your iPad, um, you had to pay 20 pounds for sync. We then discovered that sync wasn't sync. I mean, I had written an essay, a massive essay, four or 5,000 words in a car park. Um, when I got home, I made an update on a local on, on another thing another device my iphone um and it over the the tiny the version of that file which only had a url in it overwrote the other one and i thought that can't be right and you the same thought that can't be right because it advertises itself as syncing in fact it was a kind of um crazy version of syncing that was like yeah last right rinse is how the developer put it to me and i was like are you fucking kidding me last right wins what are you talking about um, and when we talked about this, um, you talked about how hard sync is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what I would point out here is that's a well-known company, Icon Factory, who are developing an application that should be that should be properly tested and properly doing what yeah. it's advertising. Because they then said, well, we don't really advertise it as sync, really. And I'm like, well, yes, you do. And also, we don't really advertise it as kind of like, you know, mission critical stuff right you just it's just for making little notes and i said well you're actually advertising that you wrote all of your documentation on it so that to me seems pretty mission critical um it doesn't matter and, anyway because uh, i mean the thing is if you write if you write anything small or long and 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 we know that the website says seamless sync then yeah. it <laughs> yeah, should yeah. it should never yeah. it should never do that it's not sync. No, it's it should, a brute force should. overwrite that's what's happening yeah but what was interesting to me was that you, despite having a product that is free um, and anyone can use, 
Um, you're, you've put a great deal of thought and attention into that because you understand how important that is. Yeah. Um, and I, that's fascinating to me because I feel like, on, you, you know, on the one hand, you have a company that's making 20 quid per license uh, who you would expect to be doing the right thing. And on the other hand, you have you and you're, this is a labor of love because um, you're not really wanting to get VC funding, right? No, no. I no, love no. the way... If, if you could see the video here, um, Adam's face just looked right, absolutely horrified. He was like, you know, straight away, like, absolutely not. And he looked disgusted. Yeah. Um, no, the, the idea for me is that I build a robust enough tool that, uh, that um, demonstrates what I need to write for my PhD, which I've pretty yeah. much done. You know, I've, just, I've kind of done that. But after that, it's a tool that um, people will want to use in education with their students knowing that they've got control over the data and and mm -hmm. that's all that matters you know and if they then come back to me and say oh it'd be great if i could from you know for my film writing course we'd love to have this view of the data what do you think about that and then i might say okay that is possible but i can't do it unless i'm paid for that chunk of time or whatever and then i might so then i might do something where i'm sort of saying okay yeah we can do it i've got a developer and he can take two weeks off his paid job and do this, but it's going to cost two grand. So thanks so for letting just, me know, um, um, you know, if you want it, yeah. you know, so that's the kind of, that's the idea is I want to build a core product that does the things that I want it to do for the situation uh, that I see its use, which is predominantly mm -hmm. just so you understand, because I don't, we haven't really talked about what it does, but basically it's a, uh, no. I think now would be a good time. We've got 22 yeah, minutes so, left, I think. Exactly. So with the new timer exactly so no so the thing is node noggin is a co-creation tool that can this should be used by multiple players at the same time and other than the corona thing happening right now is predominantly would be in the same physical space so the idea is it's a digital space that extends the physical space of a education studio in our instance design and that you can co-create within that space ideas. Um, what, so, so the idea is that, so it's not an echo of a, it's not an echo of a real thing. It's not a, oh, we do this in the studio with post-it notes and big sheets of paper and Sharpies. So this is what I'm making you in the, in the virtual world or in the digital world. It's a tool that you would actually use in a classroom or in a studio. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how why, I've been. That's how why, I've been testing it. Why would you use it? That why would you use that and not say paper and pens and sharpies and things like that? Uh, because of the persistence of the data that you can take it with you. So you could use pens and sharpies, but what you need to do then is you need to capture that information. And often, what happens is that with a lot of these other systems, including that, the information is siloed or it's mm. not captured. So uh, okay, well, well, I just want to interject one one thing because you say you have to capture the the information, etc., from the paper prototyping session or the post-it notes and all that stuff. I would argue that that already is captured. It's captured on that paper. Um, and what you're talking about there is you mean capture in the sense of scan it in or photograph it or something and move it into a digital space. Yeah, or use it to extend someone else's thinking. So if you're working, yeah. you know, if, if you're working together. There's only so many ways you can extend each other's thinking in the physical space. So to some degree, you could say it uses it as a bit of a post-it note, but it takes advantage of the real-time nature. It takes advantage of the data being on everyone's device. Mm. And it takes advantage of, of quick, easy capture. And the biggest thing, though, is that although you could be doing it in small groups, a lot of the sessions I've done, uh, because it's anonymous, so you don't know who's inputting what, the, the students are much, you know, they, they are much freer in terms of what they commit to it, what they put in, how they start to think. So they seem to think much more openly. Whereas, you know, writing on that post-it note in front of everyone, it can be quite nerve-wracking. Yeah, yeah you know? I, I understand that. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think anonymity has to be a, uh, an episode for us because one of, the, one of the interesting things that happened more, I don't know if we talked about it last week or, 
or if we talked about it on the podcast, we probably did, but was that somebody made a complaint about the School of Design um, essentially being, you know, like exactly the same as the Interaction Design course I teach on at Belfast School of Art, which it is, it, which it in fact isn't. It's a very different course. And I think that that was a lack of understanding on the part of that person. Um, but what's interesting to me is that person said, you know, at the end of their letter to the university, um, I'm not this is I'm not sharing my name I'm not sharing my email address I've actually set up another email address because I want to maintain my uh, anonymity and I thought hmm that's kind of interesting like what would you say if you were sitting here in front of me um, you know and I could defend myself for want of a better word and say well this isn't exactly the same as the interaction design course in fact it's different and for me there's huge benefit in anonymity as you've just described but there is also huge, huge problems with anonymity. Yes. People can say things that they would never say to your face. So presumably with your tool with Node Noggin, somebody could say, I think you're a total dickhead um, and this piece of work is shit. Um, and they're kind of OK because nobody knows who they are. Yes, but it's I mean, again, the thing is, you say, um it's a mediated space in terms of it's being run in a room. So you spin it up, okay. you turn it on for that session. You could turn it off. You could delete all the data if you wanted to. Um, and it, you run it as a tool within the workshop to extend your thinking process. You know, and so and it's really for small groups. You know, when we, when we've extended it, it's been like teams who are thinking through okay. a problem in the, in the game or whatever, and they want to think together. Now, mm. before they'd often just talk, about that and have that conversation right but none of that was captured and so there's two things there is one that stuff is forgotten obviously um or it's misunderstood and i'm not saying that they need to capture stuff you know or you know if i was assessing it i'd be like oh, you should write all this down and record it or something right because i want to yeah. know that happened because we need some evidence right mm -hmm. but actually what i found was when i said to the students try and input your while you're thinking out loud input it into here because it's so easy just to type stuff in, to create new little pockets of thought, to connect them, those kind of things. And afterwards, so, they, they were just like, this is so easy. And we know that the value of the things we would have forgotten is now in here mm -hmm. and we can move on. So I've kind of been developing this idea of this, that you, this capture, this is a moment mm -hmm. of capture. Then there's a moment of organization. So once you do that capturing, which is mm -hmm. the thinking out loud, and you do it in a system that's shared, respects your privacy, all that kind of stuff, then the organization phase is much, much more exciting and interesting and can move forward. And then what you produce from that can be many things. And that's the other thing that's difficult to explain is it's not a collaboration tool, it's a co-creation tool. And the difference there is that you're not necessarily all working to the same goal. You are thinking through things and you're gonna co-create various artifacts out of that and that's quite different to collaboration which often has a singular goal so okay. it's um but it's in the testing you see that kind of happen yeah i think that this is one of the things that for me because obviously i've known you for a long time um through web teaching day um and we probably go back about five or six years or something um and you know Two weeks ago or a week ago, you sent me a link to something which was similar ostensibly um, to Node Noggin and you were like, what the fuck or shit? Uh, and I kind of replied to you and said, you know, what? it's not as tra big a tragedy as I think, uh, as you think it is. Um, and at the time, I, I was seeing that in the sense of there are a lot of tools in this space. Yeah. Um, you know, there are tools like Miro, there are tools like Mural. Um, there's that tool that you sent me, which was a little bit different, and I can't remember what it was called, but you could drag videos around a, a shared board or something. Um, and so it was kind of like a work, almost like a workshopping tool for remote workshopping or something. But for me, I was, I was, um, your tool is different because, you know, because you're different. Um, and those other tools might, I don't know, and I wouldn't want to, you know, tell them that tell anyone that they're doing x when they're not mm. but we don't know if mural or miro or whoever has some terms and conditions that mean everything we put into them oh, they is do. owned by i mean I'm, oh really so i mean i can't talk about those but i can talk about one so we, okay. want, we had an exercise at the university where we were looking at uh, what the future of the educator might be and so we were getting mm -hmm. together in a thing and someone said oh you here you can use post-it notes and threw some post-it notes on the table which obviously then they were going to photograph and 
you know, again, that probably would have gone on someone's OneDrive where no one else would have seen it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they said, oh, you can use Padlet. So Padlet is effectively post-it note, digital post-it note tool, right? Uh, so I, yes. so in the meeting, Caitlin is using it in Glasgow School of Art. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so tell me about Padlet because that's really interesting. Because we now know what that tool is, and we also know an art school that's using it. So Caitlin is using it, and it has an iOS app and everything. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and and so tell us more about Padlet. So what was it? Okay, I'm going to also make sure that I bring up the blog post because I can give you the exact detail because I wrote about this because it was good fun. Um, so basically, I said, I realised you, you don't you don't need to give me the exact blog post. You can just give it to me later because if you look at this here, this is the show notes. I I literally um capturing all of this as proper show notes so i can write it all up later because this is really good, no good. Uh, okay, so just so, send it to me as a whatsapp so i know i will i will so basically um i realized that we were going to do this post-it note thing and i was like or padlet and i'm like oh could we could we try my tool and it was quite an mm -hmm. early you know this was like before couple of, maybe a couple of months before christmas of this of 2019 um and and so they were like, oh, uh, yeah, okay, why would you want to do that? I'm like, well, because I made it and and I'd like to try it out, you know. I wasn't, I didn't want to push anything other than that. So I said, oh, you know, and it, work, it will work well enough, you know. And so we sort of sat down, sketched out some ideas and, and, and started clustering together these nodes of data that sort of said, this is what an educator might look like. And so we sort mm -hmm. of gathered them together and it was quite a nice little exercise. And I, and I, I saved it to a location that I could share it with everyone, not just the ones who'd been sitting in the group. And the, and the great thing about this was there was two things that were really positive. One was I literally had it up and running in seconds because I just typed in what we wanted to call the space. And in mm -hmm. Node Noggin, we call the spaces microcosms. So you just type in the name of the one you want, bang, you've got a new space to play with um, instantly. And all you have to do is give yourself, uh, you, all you have to do is identify the device you're connecting with, but none of that is stored um, or shown to anyone else. It currently is stored, uh, um, but it, that storage will be fully encrypted. Uh, okay. And so, so what, what's what's the difference with the Padlet thing? So basically, I then uh, decided that I would have a look at, afterwards, I'd have a look at Padlet's privacy policy uh, to see what they would do by just using it. And we weren't signing in. But basically, it says that you agree to allow your behavior to be tracked that you will get shown third-party ads based on the data that's been collected. They would collect yeah, wow. by default your IP address. Uh, they might obtain personal information from other third-party sources. So if you're logged in on other devices like Facebook and whatever, they might be able to gather that. It would also, this was the, this was the most interesting thing for me. It would show you ads outside of Padlet, like LinkedIn, uh, it, but it would also collect the device, brand, version, and type system you are running operating system the browser you are using the screen size the resolution the battery and the signal strength of your wi-fi so it now knows and this is what i thought was so funny it now knows there's it could have known in the university of southampton because it knows the ip address so it'd be able to identify yeah. everyone there's 10 academics they're all using really old pcs with yeah. internet explorer that's going to go bust or whatever and so wow. imagine then the next thing the head of procurement, phone call, oh, hi, we're wondering if you would like some uh, computers because, uh, you know, maybe it's time for you to get some computers. <laughs> it's like, oh. that's clearly what could be happening just yeah. because it's gathered that stuff. So for me, it cra it made me laugh because it's like we could have just by just by doing this one exercise given over to this company a whole load of information about the computers and the devices and stuff in that room, let alone the fact that it was could have been sucking third-party data so it could have could have easily identified some of those staff members through other logins that they might have had on that machine and we all use linkedin learning because we've got that through the university so it talked and it's specifically in the privacy policy used the linkedin as the case now why is it doing that well linkedin learning where do you who do you think they want to disrupt they want to disrupt education why are they put mm. you know why is padlet talking to them because they're an education tool you know so it's just like just bad news bad news you know so most of these other tools unfortunately and this is why i want to make something that's free and open source software that respects your privacy and all that kind of stuff 
mm-hmm. we extend ourselves into those tools and they are taking that information and using it to either sell the organizations we work in stuff or to sell us stuff based on who knows what you know like voice talent or whatever and i just don't i just think that's not on you know and then when you look at shizana zuboff's surveillance capitalism book and the fact that it's a bit, it's bigger than that it's about modifying people's behavior you know and when you look at you know pokemon go the most the money that pokemon go was making was not from people downloading the game or buying little bits in the game it was from large companies like mcdonald's and costa who were going to google um we're going to Nedantic, who was spun out of Google, going to mm-hmm. Pokemon Go and saying, well, Pokemon Go were going to them and saying, hey, you know, Costa, you're quite quiet on a Wednesday afternoon. Would you like a few more people to be walking by and into your store? Because we yeah. can guarantee that they will, because we're going to sell some Pokemon that are going to push people and modify their behavior. And to me, the more you look into it, the more I just don't, I just think it's really not on, really kind of scary scary stuff and i don't think it's It's absolutely it's you know it's absolutely fascinating i bumped into a a group of pokemon go people maybe it was before the pandemic it might have been last year um when i was a smoker and i used to walk go for a walk and four cigarettes in one go um and i sort of come back from this from the supermarket from tesco's and i saw these guys like when i went i saw these guys standing there they were kind of like probably in their 30s um, or with their phones out, looking on their phones and not at each other, yeah. uh, which is a whole other thing that we could talk about. Um, and then on my way back, there was a bunch more of them had arrived. And then um, they 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 said that they were waiting for, let's say, um, John. Um, and then one of them said, oh, let's just get started anyway. And I stopped to sit and have a cigarette. And they proceeded to walk across in front of the university. And by the time I caught up to them, um, they were all walking around with their phones in the air and I just caught one of them, you know, and caught the, their eye and said, can I just ask, are you doing Pokemon Go? And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, my word, this is so bizarre. Like, these people are actually meeting, getting together, going as a group to go off and find some Pokemons. Um, so anyone who doubts that they wouldn't put some Pokemons near Costa. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of interesting because very few people think things through like this. Um you know, yeah, very few people think about the future of education or private sector, um, you know, moving into the education space. It's a little bit like we in the UK don't really think about the NHS as being privatized. But in a sense, it already is um, because an awful lot of things are subcontracted to private sector um, uh, healthcare providers like Bupa, etc. Um, yeah. And we even in, in my village here have two different private um, healthcare providers, one that's doing um, eye surgery and one that's doing, I think it's something to do with your feet or something, it's called orthoderm or something. Um, And, you know, there are people who go to these who are um, using those because the waiting list for the NHS is too long and they don't want to wait on that waiting list. So they just drum up the money and go to these things instead. And anyone who thinks that we don't have the private healthcare sector like America here in the UK, is deluded because we do Um, the moment you decide that you're going to not wait in an NHS queue and you're going to suddenly use a private sector provider that's the moment that you that we've entered into not what was imagined when the NHS was imagined uh, which is fascinating Um, wow this is really all really interesting and for me it's it's much more what I thought we were going to talk about because you know, we, we went through a phase in the early episodes where we, we it, for me, it was a little bit of a moan about negative things in education and higher education, etc. And this for me is much more fascinating because we are rubbing into the, the real issues that face the future of education today. And I, I find it fascinating. On the one hand, I think there is a role for private sector providers in education because they will shape things up in a particular way. Um, and they might innovate in ways that you know public sector organizations aren't very good at but on the other hand i think you know when you when you launch an application like blackboard and it gives you a predicted grade i find that quite that that there's many issues of concern there yeah like if you if you signed up for my course and you i can tell because you haven't checked in on particular days um, that you are actually a bit of a waste of space and the predicted grade for you is like, you know, 
30, it's going to be very difficult for me to remove that from my mind when it comes time for me to actually mark your work. Yeah. Because there's going to be a big red, um, you know, number 30 there. And your work could actually be like a super bright green 86 or something. Um, you know, that that's an issue. And actually, yeah. just to, to, to pursue that just for a second more, there's a guy who's on the Propel program. He, not anymore um, because we've all finished. But his name was Michal and... He, I don't know how I found this out, but he was actually a student in first year studying computing at Ulster University. And I don't know how I found that out. And I said, whoa, 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 what are you talking? Hang on a minute. Are you on a course? And he said, yeah. And I said, Miko, you have to talk to your lecturer. You have to email him and tell him that you're here like every day because he thinks you're a waste of space. But you're actually a incredibly successful entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, no, those... totally. This is the funny thing is because I mean, I obviously you know I bring this up in lots of conversations around what we're going to buy, what we're thinking about, mm. and that kind of stuff because I think it's important to remind people, you know what, and you know we have staff who was who will still use a Google Doc when we've got Office three six five, and it's like I'm not saying Microsoft aren't taking the data that much, but why are you using a Google Doc, you know, when you've got the opportunities, and then the other time, and then the same with this thing about attendance. We had this thing, obviously, to look at attendance. And they said, oh, we're going to pull out the logs on from Blackboard. And I just laughed. I said, OK, you can pull out the logs on Blackboard, but I'll tell you what they show you. The student went there at the beginning of the year, downloaded what they want, and never returned. Yeah. And they were like, what? But we tell everyone to use Blackboard. I said, yeah, but, but we also know they never go into there after they've got what they need because it's horrendous. I said, so yeah. what you're now asking, for, basically, is a piece of pseudo-surveillance supposed to tell us that the students are engaging i was like we can't that data is 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 void and we can't take that data you know yeah and then so then what happens? i mean the thing with that is what happens is you the rabbit hole you go down then is you go okay well we need multiple data points yeah and we need to we need more data so the more data we get the more we can figure it out and of course that's where you end up just going down the same hole it's then okay what's how how do we monetize this data that kind of stuff I think what's interesting about this, if we extend it out to the future, is a lot of this still requires a degree of human intervention in terms of like, we'd have to go and look at that data. We'd have to print it out. We'd have to cross-reference based upon some other material or some other heuristics we would use to work out was a student at something. Perhaps there wasn't a, an actual attendance record taken. Um, and we would know, for example, that so-and-so goes to all of the meetups um, that aren't attended, etc. And I think in the future, what will be interesting with your nightmare scenario will be all of that will just be collected automatically. Yeah. So if a student goes to a meetup in the evening, we'll know they went to the meetup because of location data on their phone. Um, and, you know, we'll be getting, we'll be given a picture that's been algorithmically generated that says, here's everything you need to know about Adam Proctor. And, you know, that's really kind of alarming. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and I think to some degree it's already happening. You know, there is already these sort of digital versions of ourselves that are manifested in the cloud that are representations of our information. But I think for me, the, the big thing is it's got to go back to, a cons to some degree, consent. Now, there's, there's lots of places where, you know, where it might, where I know, and I know lots of times when students, will, they would be happy to share that information with me. You yeah. Know, all of that information, like how many classes they've been to, whatever, you know. But there's nothing. There's no dashboard that says, "I am happy for my tutor to have this information for the next six months." Whoa! <laughs> it works. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> but look at where it's it's like sort of still not quite at zero. Um, How <laughs> <laughs> wicked! Like, like, so we couldn't use this for five minutes. Like it was insane. So when we used to do our presentations, they were five minutes long, and I was like, "Tonight, some of these presentations could be four minutes thirty, and some of them could be like five minutes forty-five or." Funny. you know it's crazy that's a good thing um, but no I think that's the thing and we could talk about that in the next you know we could talk about this on more episodes and we could talk about more about what my tool does and we talk more about what the ambitions inside the school of design are but yeah I think we there's lots of things that I don't think we're necessarily going to fix but if I'm going to make I like to make things you know and, I, yeah, and so yeah. and I know that I can unlock the potential of of a group of students in a room through digital tools that has yet to be done properly 
And so, so that for, for me, me go on. yeah, for, for, for me, that feels like when you were upset that day, as in, oh, shit, someone's making this. I thought, well, they're not really. Um, and more having listened to you today, I don't think they're making it either because no one in, in I don't think anyone in Miro or Mural or any of these companies, um, they probably are thinking a little bit about how these tools are used within studios and within spaces but i don't think they're thinking about them at quite the level you are because you see this as augmenting a physical space and and capturing things in a way that otherwise might be lost um and so i think you're thinking about it from a fundamentally different point of view and i also think that because you're an educator uh you're viewing it in a different way too um and you're seeing it through the student's perspective and lots of other things you know you have to just trust me there that what I said wasn't completely dumb because I got the internet connection is unstable again. <laughs> I got the end of it. It sounded oh like it would be pretty good. I can't wait to hear the yeah. problem recording. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be so funny. Um, no, but well, I think you're anyway. right. So for, that's the thing for me is that they, um, a lot of these other tools are about individuals or they're about collaboration and, and um, they are about being organized. And my tool yeah. is about being messy and about being serendipitous in, yeah, in finding yeah, things out. Yeah. And so yeah. the interface that is that's you know sort of slowly coming and going is much more uh, interesting, different, and it's not post-it notes. You know, when yeah, the, when yeah, the yeah. finished sort of map views and things start to come about, it's going to just be a nice thing to sort of fall around inside, as well as add yeah. stuff to. So that's the yeah. plan. 